And let me read the 12th Psalm. It says, For the director of music, according to Sheminith, a psalm of David. Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but harbor deception in their hearts. May the Lord silence all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. Those who say, by our tongues we will prevail. Our own lips will defend us. Who is Lord over us? Because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. You, Lord, will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked who freely strut about when what is vile is honored by the human race. This is God's word. And I've entitled this message, A Word About Words. A Word About Words. Uh, It is a well-established medical fact that there is a link between smoking and cancer of the lungs and other areas. However, the tobacco industry famously hid this link from people for many, many years, and they used advertising to encourage people to smoke. The detrimental health hazards of smoking are so well known to us today that it is always shocking to see these kinds of pictures of advertisements from cigarettes from the past. In the 1950s, when these adverts were produced, tobacco companies knew that there was a link, but they lied. So in 1953, tobacco companies said, there is no proof that cigarette smoking is one of the causes of lung cancer, when they knew that there was. And you'll notice up there, uh, doctors smoke. So they were saying if the doctors are doing it, well then, it's fine, surely. Then in the 1960s, as more and more data backed up this link, the tobacco industry sent out press releases that said, we don't accept the idea that there are harmful agents in tobacco. And as recently as 1994, although I know for some of you that isn't recent, but it is quite recent, the tobacco companies were denying that nicotine is addictive and the advertisements just continued. Now this is now seen today as as a scandal since many people no doubt would not have taken up smoking were it not for the words of the tobacco companies and their alluring advertisements that were given despite knowing that what they were saying was not true. And this is is shocking to us today, but there are no doubt industries today that are selling products attractively that are bad for us. And no doubt there'll be in however many years' time, 
looking back at scandals of today, why people advertise certain things. What I'm trying to show you, though, is that words are powerful, and words can be very damaging. Lies can cause great harm. And this psalm is about words, comparing the flattering words of the wicked, which, like the tobacco companies, cause so much damage, and the flawless words of the Lord, which bring life. So we are in a series of psalms now which speak about the impact of wickedness in our world. So in Psalms 9 and 10, God's people were threatened, but we were told the wicked won't win. And then last time in Psalm 11, the wicked were destroying the foundations of society. But in Psalm 12, we dig a bit deeper into how the wicked attack the foundations of society. It is through their words. Words that promote evil in such a way that makes evil look good. And it is everywhere. Notice how David feels this in verse 1. Look at verse 1. David says, Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Faithful can also be translated as godly, and and loyal means faithfulness to God. So there's a, a similar kind of meaning here. This is no one anymore is following God, he's saying. David is looking around his society, and he's seeing godlessness everywhere, and a departure of people that are being faithful to the truth. Now, he is using, I think, hyperbole. It's not true that literally no one is faithful, and there are no, none of God's people existing anymore, and those loyal have literally vanished, but it feels that way. It feels that way to David, and we can feel that kind of a burden too, We can look around our world and our nation and our culture and we can see that there has been a departure from fearing God. All of us, I'm sure, have noticed this. We can look around our families and our workplaces where we spend most of our time and we can be the only one that follows God. And even as a church, we can feel very small, even as we're perhaps squeezing in on a Sunday, but we can still feel very small when we look at the godless world around us. And in a culture that is godless and faithless, David asks for help to live in it. We need God to help us to live in a world where the words of the wicked are the words that are dominating our culture. And this psalm is part of the answer to the prayer for help. How can we live in a world where there is Words of evil everywhere. Well, this psalm will help us. First of all, it helps us by David describing the flattering words of the wicked. So notice verse 2. He's saying, everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips. Again, David's uh, using hyperbole to make his point here. Everyone is is not literal. Uh, Everyone, it's like when... um, so in my life, I don't use WhatsApp, right? And I'm, I miss out on certain messages because of that, although Paul is dead helpful with it. But what I'm told is everyone uses WhatsApp. Everyone uses it. So therefore, you need to use it. And I'm not going to go into the reasons why I'm not. But 
not literally everyone uses WhatsApp because I don't. Right? But I'm not the only one that doesn't use WhatsApp. But you see what I mean? When you say everyone, what is going on? So everyone, David's saying, is lying to their neighbor and flattering with their lips. He's saying it, 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 it's, everyone's doing this. And lies here means uh, vain or empty words of, of no substance. Uh, they're, they're not helpful because they're untrue. And to flatter is an interesting word. It means literally to smooth over. So the meaning is, it's not so much saying something nice about someone to get your own way, but dressing up wrong or evil and smoothing it out so that your way is seen as right even when it's wrong. It's using words to persuade someone that evil is good. It's, it's smoothing out the evil to make it seem okay. And they make evil sound good, but we read there that there is deception in their hearts. The end of verse 2 literally says they have a double heart. So they say one thing whilst knowing it's not really true. For example, what I showed earlier about the tobacco industry. I think it's worth just camping here for a little bit and thinking about how this happens in our culture. Because we live in a world of lies Flattering lips and deception. Words that make evil sound good, but it's a deception. So let's, let's think of some examples. How do we see this today? Well, here's one example. Uh, advertising and algorithms. Advertising and algorithms. Most of the products that we are advertised are not sinful in and of themselves, okay? That's not the case. But flattering words are used to get you to want stuff that you don't need and become consumed with having to have the latest stuff. Do you find that true? How many times do we get advertisements that are saying, you need this, you must have this? And so when we fall for that kind of flattery, it smooths out any of the the negative sides of, of having this stuff, our generosity towards others and our giving towards the work of the church can be hindered because we are consumed by ourself. Many are led into debt in order to follow the allure of the adverts. And online retailers, social media sites, YouTube, music apps, and so on, all have algorithms that are designed to nudge you towards giving you what they say you want, their product. And whilst this is not all bad, if we are unthinking, we can just become greedy, self-focused, and covetous. But there is also a lie in many of these adverts, because the, the lie is this. If you buy this product, you will be happy. You will be fulfilled if you have this. You will only really be somebody. You will only really be valued if you buy this product. They promise that you'll be changed by the product itself. And that's the lie and the flattering words, you see? So I'm not saying here, don't buy anything ever. I'm saying, think about what you're buying. Think about what you're being sold. Think about the motives that you have when you're buying it. So that's one example. 
Uh, another example, homosexuality. One of the leading idols of our day is sexual freedom. And with lies and flattering lips, the wicked have shown or tried to smooth out the fact that they've said that homosexuality is normal and it's good with words such as love is love. They aren't harming anybody. The Bible doesn't really say anything about it. Why would God make someone this way? And those kinds of words are used to try and present Christians as bigots for promoting the truth. The definition of marriage has been reworded by the world to conform to its image rather than the will of the God who actually does define marriage. Similarly, transgenderism and pronouns are lies and flattering lips. Attempts have been made to change words such as what defines man and woman. And it's worth saying, and you can talk to me about this afterwards if you want to, because some of you may find this a bit hard to, to take, but it is unloving and it is lying to use someone's preferred pronouns rather than what they actually are. There is a difference between using someone's preferred name, which is not a defining characteristic, but to say that someone is not a he or a she when they are reaffirms the lie that they are telling themselves. It breaks the ninth commandment that you shall not bear false witness. And in a situation like that, we should not be harsh with our words. We must lovingly explain our position, even if it means losing a relationship. But it's not loving to affirm someone in a path that leads to destruction. It is bad for them. Another example. There are uh, so-called kind of philosophers in our day Atheist philosophers, for example, who sow doubts using clever words about the truth of God's word by making their own uncertainties seem certain. Uh, examples of this are people like Richard Dawkins who make sweeping claims about there being no God, sound very confident but have no evidence actually for what they say. They sound good, but it is lies and flattery. And then there are uh, enticements to sin when our friends or family or work colleagues use words to entice us to do wrong. Words like, oh, it won't be so bad. God won't mind. God's got plenty of other things to worry about, and so on. I hope you can see that we live in a world of lies and flattering lips that deceive. Doesn't it feel like Everyone lies to their neighbor, they flatter with their lips. Well, in verse 3, David prays against this. Look at verse 3. He says, May the Lord silence all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. The word silence hides the strength a little. It actually says, cut off flattering lips and boasting tongues. It's a strong metaphor. The flattery and the boasting must end. And boastful tongues are those who uh, confidently proclaim their own agenda, what they see as truth, and they are brazen in their elevation of self. Notice in verse 4 how they speak. Those who say, 
By our tongues we will prevail. Our own lips will defend us. Who is Lord over us? There is an arrogance here. They think they can talk their way out of reality, out of truth. Again, we, we see this today with those, those different gender identities. They are, people are, are talking as if something is true and saying, well, we can define our own reality. Who is Lord over us? People think they can use words to change what is real. By our tongues, we will prevail. We're not going to have a master over us telling us what is right and wrong, what is real and not real. The wicked don't want a master. They want to say and do as they please. They want to create their own reality. But the problem is that God has words which do define reality and do create truth. So in Genesis chapter 1, we read God as the one who speaks creation into existence with words. He has made reality. He defines reality. Nobody else can do that. He defines us. He shows us truth. He shows us reality. He is God. We are not. So we've seen plenty of examples of how flattering words are all around us. And we'll see in a moment how the flawless words of the Lord are a counter to them. But it's worth pausing just for a moment to recognize our own sin in this area. Because it's easy to look at what everyone else does and forget that haven't we used lies? Haven't we used flattering words? Haven't we tried to promote our own interests? We do this when we boast of our own achievements. We do this when we put others down to make ourselves look good. We do this when we use flattering words to smooth out our sinful behavior or our sinful attitudes and excuse them rather than repent of them. We do this when we defend ourselves rather than seek forgiveness when we've done wrong. We use this when we use words to get our own way all the time. There is not just a problem in the world with lies and flattering lips. There is a problem in our own hearts. And this morning we saw that in Isaiah 6, didn't we, where Isaiah had unclean lips. And that is true for all of us. And so we need the atoning work of Jesus Christ to cleanse us and to help us to have clean lips. Another application on this point is that we need to be willing to speak truth in love to others. We touched on this a bit with the point about pronouns, but we should be prepared to not lie and flatter others because we don't want to offend or because we're scared of the consequences. We've got to speak the truth. As Christians, we need to speak truth even when it's hard to do that. That means sharing our faith when it may offend. Or it means telling someone they are wrong for their own good, even when it may damage a relationship in the short term. That's not easy. But as Christians, we need to speak the truth in love. And finally, we need to know our Bibles. Not just a few verses here and there, but to know our Bibles so that we can, through engagement with God's Word, live in the counterculture of the flawless Word of God against the flattering words of the culture around us. So plan to read your Bibles. 
Talk with others about what you're reading. Be in church. Come under the teaching of the word. Because we're not going to be equipped to deal with the flattering words of the wicked if we are not immersed in the flawless word of the Lord. Which leads us on to the second point, which is the flawless words of the Lord. From verse 5, we have a contrast that takes place in the psalm. Uh, The central image in the psalm is the spoken word, and there is a contrast between the boastful, deceptive, self-serving words of the wicked and the pure, effective words of the Lord, which is the core of this message. In verse 5, the Lord himself speaks directly to David. Uh, In fact, a direct word from the Lord is unusual, even in the Psalms. We saw it in Psalm 2, and we see it again here. The Lord speaks to David directly. And the Lord sees the plundering of the poor, and he hears the groaning of the needy, and he will act. Uh, the, the poor and the needy, in fact, and the, the vulnerable, are always the ones who suffer the most from the lies and the flattering lips of our world. So scammers often take most advantage of the elderly. It is often the poor who are sold cheap products that fall apart, cars that are dodgy, food that has no nutritional value, and homes that are damp where landlords use weasel words to get out of fulfilling obligations. It is often the poor and the needy that are targeted most by drug dealers, alcohol, and gambling companies. This was true in David's day, And it is true in our day as well. And our Lord, we read, will not stand for this. Or rather, he will not sit for it because it says, he will arise. The word arise has been used a lot so far in the Psalms in relation to how the Lord will act against the wicked. To arise is to get up and move and act. We've seen him say he will arise in Psalm 3 verse 7, Psalm 7 verse 6, Psalm 9 verse 19, and Psalm 10 verse 12. God will not just sit there and let wickedness prevail in our world. Instead, look at the end of verse 5. I will protect them from those who malign them. Uh, Oppressed is probably a, a better word than malign because the words are not always against the person or a direct attack, but rather the words cause suffering in all sorts of ways. The idea is that the Lord will put the poor and needy in a a place of safety. So the ESV translates this verse, I will place him in the safety for which he longs. So for New Testament people, the church is that safe place for the poor and the needy where they are defended and cared for. That doesn't mean they will not suffer at all from the words of the wicked, but there should be, in the church of Jesus Christ, a safe space that functions as God's family, caring for all its members, which sometimes includes being a voice for them, providing words for them against the words of the wicked. But the church also provides the word of God, which we see in verse 6 is flawless. How can we trust that what God says in verse 5 is true? How do we know that we can counter the words of the wicked? Look at verse 6. And the words of the Lord are flawless. 
like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. Uh, This tells us three things about God's word. Firstly, it is perfect in sincerity. It's perfect in sincerity. Everything God's word says is true. Everything that it says is for our good. It does not lie to us. It doesn't mess about with us. When God speaks about the future, what he says will happen will. When he speaks about the past, what he says happened did. When he speaks about our hearts, he speaks more truth than we can possibly know. When he speaks about love or sin or heaven or hell or right or wrong or good and evil or about what it, what it, what it means to follow him or what, it, what the, the best life we can live is, it is always true and trustworthy. The word of the Lord is perfect in its sincerity. That's the meaning of flawless, flawless. But secondly, it is proven proven. David uses a simile here to describe what the word of the Lord is like. It is, it is like silver purified and gold refined. Uh, silver and gold were heated up to a really high temperature so that they would melt and the impurities could be taken out. And so the word of the Lord here is subject to this, this kind of fire of testing but is found to be without impurity. It is flawless. There's no dross to be taken off or out. It is pure. And that's the point of the the seven times being refined. Seven is a number of completion or perfection in the Bible, but also you can keep testing it, you can keep heating it up, but there'll never be any dross found in it. Over time, God's word has been tested. It has come under attack. Bibles have been burnt, attacked, and ridiculed, but the Word of God remains. And as God's people have tested it themselves through obeying it, following it against the Word of the world or their own sinful hearts, God's people have found again and again that God's Word is good. It is flawless. And if you want to prove that God's Word is true... Obey God's word, and you'll find that he is a God of his word. And God's people also are found to be what is the final point in verse 6. So uh, God's word is perfect in sincerity. It is proven, but finally it is precious. It is precious. It is like silver and gold. They are precious metals. The word of the Lord is precious to us. It is the most valuable word that we have. I remember at the coronation of King Charles III, the most striking part of that ceremony to me was when he was presented with a Bible and he was told these words, to keep you ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes. Receive this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. And that is true. This book, this Bible, is the most valuable thing that this world affords. It is precious to the people of God. Well, it's with confidence in God's flawless word that David can pronounce 
what he does in verse 7 and 8. So verse 7 says, You, Lord, will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked who freely strut about when what is vile is honored by the human race. God will keep the needy safe. How? Well, the needy in this psalm are really those who are God's people in their immediate context. So in one sense, though, we should all, as God's people, recognize our need of the forgiveness of sin and to trust that God's word shows us our need and the way to forgiveness. When we put our faith in Jesus, trusting his sacrifice on the cross is enough to pay for our sin, then we are kept safe and we'll be protected forever from the wicked, including our own wickedness, because we are forgiven of all of our sin. No lie or flattering word from the wicked will affect our standing with God. We are safe in him forever, no matter what others may say to us about what they think about the truth of the Bible, or they make comments that make us doubt our salvation. No word from the world can affect our standing with the Lord. We are safe. Our need of forgiveness is met in Jesus. But also, as God's people, we are kept safe as we follow the truth of the word of the Lord. What I mean is that disobedience to the command of God is bad for us. It's dangerous to disobey God's word. But as his people, we find life through following God's ways. Faith in Jesus is not a one-off event to have our sins forgiven and a kind of a, a ticket to heaven It is a life walk where every day we commit to God's word over the words of the wicked. And also the Holy Spirit protects us by helping us understand the word of the Lord and shows us the path of righteousness. But for those who are in material need, the poor, as I said before, the church is God's place of protection for them too. Well, the end of this psalm is interesting in that it doesn't result in a change of condition for the people of God. In verse 8, as the psalm closes, the wicked are still strutting about honoring what is vile. The idea is uh, they're kind of walking around the stage of this world, you know, giving off their words of what they think and, and all of that kind of thing. And we see this, don't we, that, that, that sin in our world is honored by our world. So we have boasting, we have pride marches, we have sin honored in all sorts of, of different ways in our films and um, all sorts of things. And the end of the psalm is, is not a change in the condition. We, until, until Jesus returns, we can't expect the world to change being the world. But there is a claim of confidence rather than a change of condition. The confidence is that the words of the Lord are flawless and the Lord will protect us. And that's where we find ourselves today. We live in a world where the words of the wicked are still around us. It still seems that everyone lies and flattering words are all over the place. But we fight despair by having confidence in the flawless word of the Lord. 
And for Christians, we have a clearer word and a clearer vision of the flawless word than David did when he wrote this psalm. Because we have Jesus. Jesus is the flawless word of God the Father, who showed that he was flawless in his perfect life. Jesus meant what he said, and he did what he said he would do. And this was shown when he, as he said he would be, died on the cross and rose again from the dead. Jesus is the word that we trust because he is risen from the dead. And when we gaze upon our risen Savior, we know that we can trust this word against all the false words of our world. Because Jesus is a word of life, because he's risen from the dead, whereas the words of this world are words of death that will end up being destroyed. And as his people, we are, like silver and gold in the furnace, being purified and refined ourselves, so that one day we will be his flawless bride. And so as we close, let me apply this psalm personally. Because as his people... Our words, then, must be like Jesus' words. So Peter tells us, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. The temptation for us when we face the words of the wicked is to return evil speech with evil speech, isn't it? But we are to be people who speak the truth in love. Then Paul writes, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for you are all members of one body. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Then he says in Colossians, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Our words must reflect Jesus. Well, the psalm ended with the wicked freely strutting around, honoring what is vile. We must be different. We must freely strut around, honoring the name of Jesus, the word of God the Father. And so this week, let us be committed to following Jesus with our words. Let us trust the flawless word of the Lord, and let us reflect the flawless word of the Lord by speaking words that reflect him. And our final song that we're going to to sing uh, speaks of Jesus, that flawless word of God the Father, that as his church... We use our tongues to proclaim. So let's stand together as we sing, You're the Word of God the Father.
this week, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen.